Thank you. <laughs> that was um, just such a beautiful time of worship together. Yeah, so good, so good. And yeah, just we will. Um, I will mention the table again as we go through. But um, yeah, so. I don't know about your experience of other churches and how they do things, other pastors, how they do things, but a lot of them, in my experience, kind of have this idea that, you know, when you come back in the new year in January, they they come back fired up with a new vision for the year and everything like that, you know, and and it's obvious they've been doing work and preparation and, um, you know, being diligent while we're all off on holidays, they've been you know diligently pursuing God's heart for the church for the coming year and all that sort of thing I'm just going to make a very quick admission to you that I don't do that in January I have a holiday so I wasn't really you know Caroline and I we had family we had fun we went away camping and we were having a rest but in the middle of it you know what when you just pause God speaks anyway and so a few weeks ago, when we were having some you know, beautiful, quiet downtime, this phrase dropped into my heart, all the more as you see the day approaching. And, and it came from you know, a blank slate of me not thinking about anything, but I want us to read together a passage from Hebrews chapter 10. It'll be up on the screen. Thanks, Emma. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And, say it with me, all the more as we see the day approaching. That final phrase, which the Holy Spirit dropped into my mind, caught my attention. I feel that God wants for us to really understand that, to embrace that viewpoint, but also to pursue what that all the more is compelling us towards. Because it's easy to say, but do we have we internalized what it means? All the more. You know, this letter to the Hebrews, it begins with 
a declaration and, and, and this declaration kind of should cause us to ask what is the day that the author is referring to? What is this day that is approaching? And of course if you've been around church for any length of time we would probably, you know, come up fairly quickly with the answer well it's the day of Christ's return I mean there's a lot of ways we could talk about it we could talk about it as the day of judgment we could talk about it as the rapture we could talk about all kinds of different things but I want us to actually unpack in some sense at at least what it is that God is compelling us to towards what it is that scripture is telling us to embrace here to actually pursue. There's something here for us to pursue. There's a command all the more as we see the day approaching. It's actually wanting to shape our attitudes and our behaviour. The letter begins with a declaration that these are the last days. And this was written 2,000 years ago nearly. And yet it says quite plainly in Hebrews chapter 1, the very opening of the letter, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And it's not just a phrase that is bandied about. The author knows what he's talking about here. He's being deliberate in using that phrase, eschaton, in Greek. These last days. And so the interesting thing is, what I find, what I read about as I study the history of of how people have believed over the centuries, uh, how people have viewed the return of Christ, what their expectations have been, and all these things. Every time there's some sort of cataclysmic, catastrophic world events, this topic comes back up to the fore. And even in the last few years, again, it's, it's a big topic of discussion, you know, about the last days. And I ha- I've heard people actually asking the question, are we in the last days? How do you know? Well, I'll tell you how you know, because... We have been living the last days for the last 2,000 years. It's defined in this passage, listen to how he goes on to talk about it. He, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the writer of Hebrews has a very clear Understanding that the last days are defined by the victory of Christ and his being seated at the right hand of the Father. Something has begun that was new at that point where Christ won that victory. And that season has been our season ever since. And while this topic may not get much detailed discussion through the letter of Hebrews, 
if you have an eye for it, you'll see that this perspective of living in the last days actually undergirds the entire letter from start to finish. This is the time in which the enemies of Christ, that is Satan, and all the powers that are aligned with him, are being brought into submission. Some people have a viewpoint that puts that off into a future time period. I don't think scripture allows that. Certainly not Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. So just up from the passage we read before, says this, when, the, when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Now, we could interpret that as being that he's, there's a pause and he's waiting for it to occur. But I, I think if we actually read chapter 1 correctly, that's, that's not the case. What is the case is that there is a process right now of Christ's enemies being made to be his footstool. What is fascinating, and I'll skip down my notes here just because I feel like that's the way I want to say it, is the very next verse, how the author says that is playing out, what that looks like. Because it looks like this in verse 14, the very next sentence, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Christ's victory being outworked in this world looks like people being conformed to the image of Christ. That is amazing that that is the association this author makes. He doesn't go into a big discussion about how, how Jesus is fighting the spiritual bad guys or some other kind of spiritual warfare scenario or anything like that. It doesn't look anything like we see it portrayed in for instance, the book of Revelation, what he sees is that since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool for by one sacrifice he has made perfect. Forever, those who are being made holy. There is a transformation happening in this world because you and I are being transformed into the image of Christ. He directly relates Jesus' victory into how it looks in us. The author of Hebrews, again, the previous chapter 9, describes Christ's victory on the cross this way. It says, He has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The cross is the culmination of the ages. It's the center point of everything God is doing and everything he will do. It's clear that we are living right now in this time period, the culmination of the ages. How exciting is that? 
This has been so for the last 2,000 years. This was true for the original readers of this letter. Has to be, right? It's just as true for us now. But there is a day ahead of us. The day that we look forward to as it approaches. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully we look forward to it with a deep longing and expectation. It ought to, we ought to be stirred up about the return of Christ. The sad thing is that when life is good and easy, we tend to slide back into not really caring that much, which is really just a revelation of the fact we're still generally, I think, needing a transformation of that basic selfish human nature to be released from that because the return of Christ. It's going to be an amazing day, but it should also fill us with a longing that those who don't know him need to know him. It matters deeply how we view this day. That, that same passage in chapter 9, just um, down in the second part of verse 28, says, And he will appear. A second time. This is the day to which we we long and look forward to. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. There's a sense in which his work, as, as that passage we just read before, chapter 10, there's a sense in which he has made perfect, and yet there's another sense in which our being made holy. Salvation, we look forward to the completion of it, the complete work in our own lives. Our bodies grow old and die. We experience sickness and we wrestle in faith with disease and sickness. And, um, you know, there's so many ways in which we long for the completion of that salvation work. We long for that eternal body that is resurrected, perfected, um, like Jesus. And so we look forward with expectation to the return of Jesus. It's God's time for fulfillment of all the promises. All of them in Jesus. But in the meantime, his finished work on the cross is being put into effect in our lives. This passage that we read before, the the main passage that I want us to to work through again, just quickly, is about the putting into practice what it means. The whole letter, really, up to this point of verse 19 of chapter 10, is this very deep theological unpacking of the Old Testament. It's, it's important to remember this, this letter is known as Hebrews because it is to the Hebrews. It's to the Jewish Christians of the first century who were in a time of terrible struggle, really, because they were being rejected from mainstream Judaism because they were following Jesus. They were being cast out of the temple. They weren't allowed to come and worship. 
They're out of the synagogues, their local gatherings, their local ecclesia, church. They were being quite often cut off from their families. The sort of stuff that happens right now if you're in a Hindu family in India and you become a Christian. You are cut off, that's it. You are dead to me. That was the sort of stuff that they were experiencing and yet yet it wasn't because they were rejecting Judaism. It's because they were embracing Christ, the Messiah, for whom they had longed and looked forward to. So this passage marks a shift from this deep reflection of all the, all the Moses law, all the Levitical law, all this Old Testament and the teaching of the prophets that all pointed forwards towards Christ, towards the coming of Messiah and his work. And so it was helping them in this under the pressure of actually in some cases wanting to let Christianity go so that they could go back into the familiar, into family, into relationship. And yet this author who remains a mystery until we get to heaven and there'll be a big reveal who wrote this one. Um, This is for their deep encouragement to hold on to the faith that they had found in Jesus. And if we have ears to hear, it's a deep encouragement for us to to do the same. So, as with a lot of the practical side of New Testament writings, you know, Paul's letters and things like that, where he's writing to churches about how to go about stuff and begins with a therefore. Okay, according to all this deep, profound truth, therefore, let's read it again. Just verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. There are two things that it all sums up into here. And I want us to take a moment, a practical moment, a few minutes, because it begins with us remembering what Jesus has done, who he is and what he's done. And so I'm just going to pause for a few minutes as we take communion together. This passage overall is a very together passage. It's about one another. But it starts with us actually recognising afresh why we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We get to enter the very presence of God because of what Jesus has done by his blood, which has opened for us a new and living way. By his body, which in symbolic sense, the curtain in the temple was torn down the middle when he was crucified. And 
here we have the author saying, you know what, that was all about his body being broken for us. Making a perfect offering as a perfect high priest. So let's just take a moment and I just want to invite you that if you know Jesus, just to come and take some of the, the bread and some of the grape juice and just to take a moment to reflect and offer back our worship. Just recognize that here now, here today, we are entering the most holy place. I'll just give us a, a few minutes to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for offering your own body and blood for us. We worship you because you are the Lamb of God. Because you are worthy of all our worship, all our praise. You are worthy of all honour. We thank you, Lord, that because of that, you have opened up for us. You have drawn us into the life of God, where we share the victory that you have won. Thank you, Lord, for new life in Jesus. Thank you for intimacy with God. We have confidence to approach God, enter into his very presence in the Holy of Holies. We have boldness to do that, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus has made a new way for us. Our life in Christ is eternal. It will never be old. It's always new. It's continual. The way remains open. Doesn't, it's not on again, off again. It's always open. Our access to our Heavenly Father, always open. Having established that, the writer goes on to talk about a fitting response. What is our response to this truth? What happens when we take that boldness, that confidence, and actually enter into his presence? This passage gives us three things that actually echo a verse that Paul concludes his great passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. It's generally understood that whoever wrote Hebrews, it wasn't Paul. It's a point of contention, but most scholars think, no, it wasn't. However, whoever it was was sharing notes with him. Because he goes on to say, in verse 22... Because of this, because of what Christ has done, because we have a great high priest over all of God's household now, which is us, his people, let us draw near. We have a part now to respond. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings.
having our hearts sprinkled. This is part of the imagery that is drawing from Old Testament practices that were a picture of the reality that is now there for us in Christ. Our hearts sprinkled, not with the blood of a bull or a goat or a sheep, but sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, that living water life. Sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I think that picture of baptism is quite strong there, but he's obviously painting it as a a clear expectation that as believers, we actually visualize, we, we put into practice this washing by Jesus with a practical image of baptism. So I just want to put that out there. That, um, that our cleansing is not just in our spirit, in our heart, in our inner being. God actually cleanses our whole being. He cleanses our bodies too. There's a powerful truth in that. It's, a, it's probably a whole other topic to explore and dissect. But I just want to say that it matters that our bodies are purified by God. Purity matters to God no matter who you are. No matter what you've done, he is able to bring us to a place of purity before him in everything. That's incredibly powerful truth of what it means to be a new creation in Jesus because sometimes we can carry so much guilt and shame and even physical scars from past Life, past choices, past sins and faults and failings. And people do. But God is able to purify us from not just in our conscience, but our bodies too. So let us draw near to God with that assurance that that is what he wants to do for us and will do for us. So we draw near in faith. Because of Jesus. It's not because of our deserving or anything like that. It's faith. He also says to us, and I haven't done my notes well here. I've got to skip backwards and forwards a bit. Sorry, give me a moment. He goes on to say, let us hold, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Here's the second, let us unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful. We have to be encouraged in our mindset to be fixed in our, in our gaze upon Jesus, to be fixed in our hope. So we've had faith. Faith that gives us assurance. Hope for he who promised is faithful. We look forward to the fulfillment of everything he says about us and over us, about, about our lives, about our status before him, about our forgiveness, but also about our future. And here's the third one, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I feel like this is a huge one. And then he goes on to talk about 
a couple of examples of what this looks like. The, the encouraging one another, to spurring each other on towards love and good, day, good deeds. The first thing is to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. This is, this is an interesting one, I think, in the context of this letter. When we remember that, that these are Jewish Christians who are being addressed with a deeply embedded lifestyle of um, synagogue attendance, of Sabbath worship every week, every day, every seventh day, um, that they had this deeply embedded uh, pattern of worship in their lives. And yet here the reader is actually needing to tell them, don't give up. I find it interesting because perhaps... Um, perhaps in that, that persecution of being excluded from the temple and the synagogue and from family and things like that, they basically said, well, we don't need that anymore, so therefore forget it. Perhaps there was an element of the, the freedom that um, is declared through Jesus, that it's not by any of those rituals, that none of those patterns of worship are actually what you know give us right standing before God it's by faith in Christ and therefore what I need to do any of that and if I'm honest I see a bit of that in Christians today I don't need that it's you know what it's just hard work forget it I don't need it I'll just worship God by myself I'll just have me in Jesus time and he's basically saying don't do that there's a principle underlying all those things that is not law, it's God's heart. God's heart for us to belong. God's heart for us to live in unity. God's actual practical teaching us how to love one another. You know, how to, we can't obey the command of Christ to love one another in true practical terms unless we are being together as a body. You know, if, if, you're, if you're sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm part of the church, I just never go, well, you're going to struggle to actually love someone, you know. You might have it sort of up here, but is it here? Is it in your mouth and in your hands and in your feet if you're not belonging? It's a, it's a big challenge for us. But, but clearly there is a command for us, and it comes with a promise, I think, because love is not theoretical, it is practical. It's a verb as well as a noun. You know, we do love. We express love. And it can't be expressed if we're not actually together as a body. So that's the first part of how we encourage and stir, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Firstly, you actually have to be together. You know? Secondly, he says, so when you are together, encourage one another. Encourage one another. We have to be people who know how to speak encouragement, whether that's sharing God's word to each other, just being excited about something, maybe speaking it as a promise, reminding each other of the promises in God's word, or maybe just literally building someone up because, because they need a kind word. It might be... Bringing around a meal, you know, when someone's going through 
a busy season or a tough season, you know, maybe suffering grief in the family or something like that. Or, you know, in the case of we announced just this week, Liz and Will had brand new baby. So one of the things we love to do when people are just going through that is to make some meals and do some practical love and support. This is things how we encourage one another. It could be that we're actually obeying the Holy Spirit's leading and giving an encouraging word. You know, Paul talks about prophecy as being for, you know, that we would encourage each other, that we would strengthen one another and exhort one another even, you know, that these, these are the practices, these are the practical outworkings of us actually being obedient to this word. Again, it's very hard to encourage one another if we're not actually engaging personally with each other. You know, the two kind of go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, it's, it's, it's not much fun getting together if, you, if it's not in, an encouraging environment. But it's also very hard to encourage people if you're not actually getting together. I mean, you know, sure, we've got a lot of communication avenues around these days. And I actually love it when people send me a encouraging word a text or a prayer or something you know through the week it happens sometimes and thank you to you know all those of you who are actually good at that and think to do it it's it's pretty great but you know let's stir that up i mean that's what he's saying is like stir it up stir it up spur each other on you know the more i see it in you the more i think wow that was really cool i should maybe do some of that And then it's our view from here, all the more as we see the day approaching. So I don't think we should ever sort of stop and you know, measure, are we good enough in this? I think it's, it's just, it's all the more, all the more. One of the sad things that I think having some of the different beliefs around the return of Christ and some different ideas of how people read and understand scripture and interpret prophecy and things like that. One of the, one of the very sad things is in some instances it's actually led to division and dissension, which is kind of the complete opposite of what this passage is teaching us, isn't it? And I think partially that comes out of the fact that we're not perhaps looking for scripture to teach us, well, how are we to live according to that expectation? You know, Jesus gives us some pretty clear instructions where he corrects people's idea about the coming kingdom of God. And this is pretty much in line with that. It's like, just keep on doing this until I return. (laughs) Don't, Don't get caught up in no man knows the day or the hour. Stop trying to figure it out. You know, be just, just obey the simple word to encourage each other and don't give up meeting together. Be kind, be loving, be devoted to one another. This is, this is what the word teaches us about how to live out that expectation. So I'm excited. I'm excited that 
this year and all the more as we see the day approaching that we might be a people who are dreaming up ways to encourage each other. That we are dreaming up ways to love each other all the more. That the Holy Spirit might be teaching us how that we can be a blessing to each other, how we can outwork his love amongst us and that we might be truly committed to this family that God is building as well as to his wider body because we are committed to his whole body, to love his whole body, even the bits that we may think are that weird cousin that we'd rather not. (laughs) But we have it, right? The church is... Sometimes it feels not so much brothers and sisters as weird cousins that we'd... Anyway. And so there are some simple practical things, but it goes far beyond this. But in the simple practical things, there, there is a certain amount to which we will say as a church leadership, as pastors, we will want to facilitate being the body together, connecting creating opportunities but it goes far beyond that because we are people with the spirit always helping us using our imaginations to dream up new ways to outwork this but we have some things that we do such as the table which Caroline mentioned earlier once a month we get together for a meal no purpose other than to be family together and to love each other, and just to say, you know what, I actually like hanging out with you guys. And I look forward to whatever conversations or things might occur there. So, first one for the year, this Thursday night, it's, if we try and remember it's the first Thursday of every month, then we won't be, is it on this week? But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's at our, our house this, this month for Reading Street so we will put information up on the website and the um, Facebook group and stuff like that Sunday worship gatherings don't give up meeting together freedom is one thing but freedom actually calls us to live in light of how God wants us to live and I think part of that is kind of a a high value, a devotion, you might say, to being together to worship God. And in that space, who knows what might happen. I'll just take a moment right now. I've spoken too long. Take a moment right now to say, this is not just a time to get together, sing some songs, hear a preach and go home. Okay, I look forward Every week, I'm not going to go around and say who's got it, who's got it, who's got it, and hound you. Okay, we're not about making people uncomfortable. But if if there is a word from the Lord that is right here, right now, prophetic, we want to hear it. As Paul says, it could be a tongue, prophecy, an interpretation, hopefully, all those things. It's a whole other topic to talk about, but it's on. If someone needs healing, let us actually stand with them and pray for healing. Let's do all these things. Let it all be done so that the body of Christ may be built up. Life groups, another, will be 
You know, a couple of them are in a little bit of state of flux. The women's life group is starting up again this Friday morning. Yep. Um, there will be quarter life crew and other things, but we just haven't resolved what that looks like yet this year. Men's group also, we just, I just want to take a moment with that one too, Mark. We need to get together, talk about that. Um, there are opportunities, but, you know, beyond that, Let's have some Holy Spirit-inspired imagination about how we may love each other, build each other up towards love and good deeds. Thank you, Lord. Help us to do it all the more as we see that beautiful day of your return, that beautiful day of your glory coming. Lord, we, we, we have hope. We have a beautiful hope. A beautiful hope, Lord, for all that you have stored up for us in eternity and the glory of seeing you face to face. We worship you now, Lord, but God, we, worship, we look forward to worshipping you in that beautiful open heaven, face to face in the glory. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing and all that you are going to do. Lord, help us to, to live out this calling, this being of your body here in this world, here and now. Help us to live it out faithfully, full of faith and, and just full of the knowledge of your purposes for us, your purposes in us. Thank you, Lord, for your presence of your spirit in our midst, that we can come with boldness before your throne of grace that we can come with full confidence because of our, our faith, our trust in Jesus and all that he has done. Amen. Amen. We might wrap it up there, eh? Because I've gone on. Bless you guys. I hope we see you Thursday. If not before, who knows? Walk around town. You never know who you run into. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>